It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So this is uh, a series that I've been walking through for the past, I think it's been six weeks or so. Basically, uh, this year so far, my 2022 series has been called Spiritual Lessons from Abe Lincoln's America. And it's not as much on Abe Lincoln. I know that some people, that's, they wish it was. And I understand that. Abe Lincoln is such an interesting character. Uh, Abe Lincoln is a guy I admire, but not necessarily the guy that I want to train the church to just be like. There are certain aspects to his life that are deeply intriguing to me. And how he handled the challenges he faced is very attractive to me. But the interesting thing to me, and the reason I'm picking this series topic, which is an unusual one, uh, I I would acknowledge that, is because I feel like it represents our time. That the antebellum period, or the period before the Civil War, the period that Abe Lincoln is growing up in and going to enter into the presidency during, is a parallel in so many regards with the times in which we all live. And the question that is on my heart is, okay, we all have the word of God, but how do we uniquely apply it now? What does it look like? We need to have wisdom for the times in which we live. We need to understand the times in which we live so that we can utilize this truth in a powerful way to change the world. I do not want to be caught sitting on my thumbs at the very moment when the church ought to be sprinting towards the battle. And that is sort of the pressing within my soul and even the stirring behind this series. This is part 12, and it's called The Power of the Backwoods Preacher. You know, as I was going through this, I've never thought of calling myself the backwoods uh, preacher. But there's a lot of things that got stirred inside of me as I was going through this because I am somewhat of an anomaly in the system, and I don't play by the rules. There are rules. I don't know if you've ever uh, noticed this. If, if, if you were in the, the church system, you'd recognize there's a way in which you're supposed to do things, and you, you look around and you're like, where does it say that? Where does it say I need to do that? It doesn't say it. It's tradition, and we are a deeply traditional uh, form of church here in America, and it's sort of always been that way. And a backwoods preacher was a preacher that was willing to do whatever it took to bring the fire to do whatever it took to say, Spirit of God, ignite me. May there be a roaring flame that comes through me. I don't want to just be dry and dusty. I want to be a living coal from the altar. I like that. And so, you know what? I've never thought of uh, saying, hey, I want to be a backwoods preacher. It sounds sort of like bucktooth preacher. I think it's about the same thing. Uh, But uh, I I was intrigued by it in, in going through this message and the preparations of it. Luke 24:32 A very very profound statement is being made. Jesus is risen from the dead and somehow the disciples don't recognize him. Okay? I don't know how to comment on that. They just didn't. And so it's on the road to Emmaus and afterwards as they begin to recognize who this was, listen to this statement. And they said to one another, "Did not our heart burn within us?" While, we, while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. What I would like to do is just sort of circle that. In all of our souls, you know, as a man who has been entrusted with a task to deliver the truth of the gospel to a generation, that's the way I would look at it, that's what I feel my assignment is, 
well, what do I desire? Do I desire just to inform my audience, to make them more intelligent about the truth, to make them more uh, studious uh, with uh, the ideas of uh, the word of God as applied to culture, or do I want this? Listen to this. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? This is what I desire as the outcome. This is what Jesus does. He brings about a burning of the heart. And that's why A.W. Tozier, Oswald Chambers, they have all used the phrase, the fellowship of the burning heart. This is what I want to be on the road with them. I want to be listening to Jesus, but then I want to be changed by Jesus to help other hearts burn. So the Times of Lincoln, now this is a review. Uh, This is uh, something that was written by uh, Dr. Scott Rank. Uh, Abraham Lincoln grew up in absolutely wild times. It was divisive, partisan, and violent. Government in antebellum America was weak and unstructured. The economy was in chaos. Gordon Wood notes thousands of different kinds of paper money notes flew about, and risk-taking and bankruptcies were everywhere. Even some states went bankrupt. There were duels, rioting, and mobbing. Americans drank more per capita than nearly all other nations, which provoked temperance movements. Fistfights, knifings, and violence were ordinary affairs taking place even in state legislatures and the Congress. What a time! And so that's what we've been covering. We've been covering this time of instability. The world feels like it's beginning to unravel. I don't know if you felt a little of that over the last couple of years. You know, we had uh, what that autonomous zone up in Seattle, which someone told me the other day is still there. Uh, Chaz, I think is what it was called. It may have changed names, but it's like, how bizarre is this? And I don't know if you remember those feelings of uh, the summer of 2020 with some of the, you know, the it was a George Foster. I forgot what his name was. George Foster was a baseball player. Now I can't remember. Uh, it was, how could I forget? But the instability of the nation was something that was new to us, which is a similar thing to what was happening in the antebellum era. So the times of the showman, one of the interesting things that was taking place in this time, which is going to play into the backwoods preacher idea, is there was this idea of showmanship, okay? Now, I'm not a big fan of showmanship, right? And yet there is something to it. You're going to see a fleshly version of something that's happening and a spirit version of something that's happening. But this generation is desirous of something, to not just have the stale, the dead, and the dry. They want something living. They want something, some would say, exciting. They want something to stir them. And this was not just, like I said, in the profane sides of life. This was in the spiritual side of life. We need something more to be able to deal with what is taking place. That is exactly the way we feel right now as the world and even the church. So I'm gonna, I have three names up on the, the screen right now. Phineas T. Barnum. Does that sound familiar? Barnum and Bailey Circus. Uh, this is his era. This is when he was coming out with all of his oddities and extremes. This is the culture in which he debuted all of that. Charles Blondin, who's going to be the theme of my uh, Monday Daily Thunder. Uh, he's a tightrope walker. What an interesting character he was. He was making his big statement in 1859, which is just two years before Abe Lincoln is going to step into office. Elmer Ellsworth, who's going to be uh, my next Friday, so a Friday from now, uh, my last Daily Thunder in this series, 
What an interesting character he is as well. This is the era of the showman. This is a time in which everything dry and dusty is being uh, knocked off and you're, you're replacing it on the shelves with something fantastical, which I, I'm going to just be uh, up front, is somewhat disturbing. Okay, When you begin to go to the extremes to try and entertain their culture, and you are doing it out of the flesh, it is very, very dangerous. And so I'm not necessarily saying I like what was taking place in the antebellum era, but it is interesting because it's going to, in this time, create something known as the backwoods preacher. The times of the backwoods preachers. Listen to this quote from David Reynolds. He says, John Locke Scripps, Lincoln's earliest authorized biographer, wrote in 1860 that Lincoln as a boy had been strongly shaped by the early backwoods preachers. What's going to build this man who's going to change the world? This man in a time of great showmanship and a time of great uh, presentation, he's going to grow up in the midst of this. And what is going to most shape him but something known as the backwoods preacher? Not Barnum and Bailey, not just Charles Blondin and Elmer Ellsworth, but the backwoods preacher. What exactly was a backwoods preacher? So here's a description of a backwoods preacher. Whether or not this is a perfect description, it's at least one that I can grab. By David Reynolds, he said, The backwoods preachers were unlearned but powerful. They mingled constantly with the masses of the people, understood the force of their local dialect, and delivered literally extemporaneous sermons in which they drew their illustrations from the daily habits of their hearers. Now, for some of you, as you hear that, you're like, well, what's the difference between that and you know, all Christianity? Well, there's a form of how you are supposed to deliver a sermon. It's been around for a long time. A lot of people you know, give, it, give it credit to the, the Puritan age, where it was a more learned, more academic age, and so the organization and the argument structure was very, very important of how you were to exposit the text and how you were to bring it into application. And so this was a form in that time period. And so the backwoods preacher was doing something that seemed to violate the rules, that violated the form of the way it was supposed to be done. And so as a result, the backwoods preacher was disdained at a, at a very high level by the academics within the system. And so I'm going to read it again. Just listen. The backwoods preachers were unlearned but powerful. They mingled constantly with the masses of the people, understood the force of their local dialect, and delivered literally extemporaneous, which means on the spot, it's coming up with it in the moment, sermons, in which they drew their illustrations from the daily habits of their hearers. What an interesting description. Introducing the emergent movement. So one of my books is called The Bravehearted Gospel, and in that, I'm in a sense going to take on something known as the emergent movement. Now, the way that this started is I was being asked by one of my publishers if I would write what was called at that point in time an emergent book. And I, I sort of chuckled to myself as I got asked that question. I said, I don't know if you know who you're asking to do that. Because I had a decided stance of concern against this movement. Now, what's interesting about the movement, which I would say is still there, it's basically liberalism creeping into uh, the conservative church is one way that I might say it. But it's a diminishment of the trueness and the trustworthiness of the scriptures. And it's going more with experience and feeling, postmodernism, than it is with truth. 
and saying that that truth is rock and you can build your life upon it. Whereas the emergent movement is saying, I don't know, I think it's evolved, I think it's changing with each culture, each generation. So it removes all sturdiness from the soul. I don't like that. And so as a result, when I'm being asked to write an emergent book, I sort of chuckle, but I did. I wrote a book in the style of what was being asked of me, which is uh, sort of the backwoods preacher version of it. Instead of being P.T. Barnum, it was backwoods preacher, and that's the book called The Bravehearted Gospel. And it basically is taking on the emergent movement, saying we need to be grounded and founded in the Word of God. I am a big fan of the Scriptures as far as the base, and I'm a big fan of making Jesus the center of all the study of Scripture. In other words, I'm a classic conservative Bible believer. However, I am not stuck in the mud as far as how that is delivered. And that's where you know, Eric Ludy can get a little challenge and blowback uh, from the Christian world around me. It's like, Eric, you're not allowed to do that. You can't teach this way. And I always want to say, who came up with that rule? I want to heed the Holy Spirit, and I want to bring the truth of God to bear upon my generation in whatever manner would be effective to awaken them and to cause their hearts to burn and to desire Jesus. To me, it's logical. However, there's a system that feels threatened by that. And so it's interesting because the emergent movement is sort of of the same vein as Eric Ludi is. It's like, is there a difference? The emergent movement says we need something different. We need to speak the language of the people. We're dead, we're dry, we're dusty. And I'm going to say, amen. However, you don't throw out the truth in order to bring back the life. And so that's what's led to some of the unique challenges that I've walked through. The emergent movement was and is onto something. And so when I say it, it was and is, I'm saying it still exists, but it changed and morphed because it was highly attacked at a certain point in time. So it sort of went underground and has just emerged with different names. But here's my statement. You can't throw out the word of God to go after the solution to our dryness and deadness. The solution isn't to go to an ulterior source for your truth. It's like if we want to be living as Christians, if we want to be vibrant, if we want to be on fire, you need to make sure you maintain the foundation of that fire. You need to make sure you don't go to another source to find the oil that sponsors that fire known as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in agreement with the text of Scripture and always will be. He never goes off reservation. He never sponsors a movement that is contrary to the initial work that he revealed, that he inspired. It's a God-breathed work. The Holy Spirit's the one that breathed it. So therefore, he's going to stay congruent with that. And that's where you see the, this tension, the P.T. Barnum side of the age, which is saying we need to bring life and laughter and some kind of entertainment back to our culture. We're getting too serious down here. And then you have this other side, which wants to do the same thing, but not in the same way. It wants to bring life back to the church. It wants to bring vitality back to the body of Christ. It wants to bring fire back to the church. And yet it does not want to compromise the truth in order to do it. Abraham Lincoln said this. This is a very fascinating statement. I don't like to hear cut and dried sermons. No, when I hear a man preach, I like to see him act as if he were fighting bees. <laughs> that is great. What a quote. You see, he's symbolic of the entire generation of this time. And I would say that our generation is not altogether that far removed 
They don't just want cut and dry sermons. They don't want just the format that is the typical age old. They want something fresh. They want a fresh fire, a fresh log from the fire. They want freshness. They want it to be living. They want it to be activated. The new religious style, that's what this was called actually. Radical creativity brought about by religious liberty. You see, when you don't have religious liberty and there's a Church of England, there's a set system, this is the way you do it. It is cookie cut. It is the same always. This is how you deliver your messages. This is how long they will be. This is what the text will be on. However, when you enter into this idea of this new constitutional republic known as America, you have something called religious freedom, which technically is a very, very, very rare thing in history. And so this American experiment is going to bring about something, and that is going to be radical creativity, because that hadn't been allowed before. And so what you see in the antebellum era, just like with P.T. Barnum, just like with Charles Blondin, just like with Elmer Ellsworth, you're going to see a radical creativity. Where did it come from? It came from a radical freedom, an unusual freedom that hadn't existed like this before. And when it's applied to the church, it definitely can express itself in incorrect ways. I'm going to be the first one to say that. When you do not have form and you do not have structure, when you do not follow the pattern as set forth in Scripture, then you might not be a workman approved with the Scripture. And so as a result, you can go rogue and you can create all sorts of uh, problems, which we're going to see in the antebellum era. A church for everyone. That was the statement that was oftentimes said back then. It's like, well, if you don't like this church, I'm sure there's plenty more that you can choose from, and you're bound to find one that fits you. Because religious liberty also brings something known as sharp division. And so when you only have one church to choose from, it's sort of hard to be divided, right? But when you have so many, what you can do is say, you know what, I don't particularly like that. I would prefer my doctrine to be served up this way. And so as a result, you have division after division after division, which is called denomination after denomination after denomination. This is a result of something known as religious liberty. David Reynolds says this, the Baptist faith of Lincoln's parents was... Among all American religions, the most varied in its manifestations. No other religious body yielded so many different branches as the Baptists. There were primitive Baptists, free will Baptists, hard and soft shell Baptists, particular Baptists, general Baptists, six principal Baptists, anti-mission Baptists. Two seed in the spirit Baptists, German seventh-day Baptists, close communion, general, Sabbatarian, and foot-washing Baptists all with different emphases in doctrine. So many, in fact, that a 19th century historian of the religion remarked the term Baptist has ceased to become a distinguishing name if used without a prefix. So this is the time period in which Lincoln is growing up, and I would say this is the time in which you and I have grown up. This is not unfamiliar to us. In other words, where distinctions and denominations and divisions is actually far more common than the church working together as one. But there is an upside to this liberty. It also allowed believers to express convictions that may not be mainstream and popular. So I could emphasize a lot of negatives and a lot of dangers that came with this antebellum uh, performative showmanship, yearning for life and entertainment version of life over here to say when something is stirred up like this and you have this religious freedom, it can also allow for a distinction to say, you know what? 
I am going to not go with this and I'm going to stand apart from it even if I'm ostracized in the culture. You see that religious freedom actually allows for that. And that's actually going to be what's going to impact Lincoln. Lincoln is going to become Lincoln because of this unique factor of his culture. The antebellum culture in a strange way, not just his his parents, but the antebellum culture is going to shape this man for such an hour as he has been assigned. David Reynolds says it this way, One Baptist offshoot was a Little Mount Church, the small church in Hardin County, Kentucky, whose members included Lincoln's parents, Thomas and Nancy Hanks Lincoln. This was a very special offshoot. The 15 people in 1809, the year of Lincoln's birth, broke off from the regular Baptists to form the Little Mount Church. They believed that the Bible stood opposed to slavery a highly unusual view for that day, especially in Hardin County, where in an adult population of some 2,600 people, nearly half of them were enslaved persons. Lincoln is going to grow up hearing backwoods preaching. I mean, 15 people in a church. Okay, In a small church, he is going to hear something that the rest of Kentuckians are not going to hear, and that is that slavery is morally wrong. Isn't that interesting? Because of the religious liberty that was allowed, you're going to see this backwoods preaching in one of the most unusual situations. Lincoln is going to grow up and he's going to hear something clearly stated. And from a young age, he is going to always be opposed to something that at the time was culturally acceptable. And so as a result, it was because of the backwoods preaching and because of the willingness to go against the system and even because of, ironically, the division point that allowed him to hear something that was distinct and different from the age. For a Kentucky church in a slaveholding area to organize so early on an anti-slavery basis was extremely uncommon. A chance mutation, says David Reynolds. Indeed, Lincoln's ethically-based hatred of the South's peculiar institution then was nurtured by a rare, fortunate development in the rapidly dividing Baptist church. I think that's an amazing statement to show what the enemy means to harm the Baptist church is actually going to be used to impact and lay a foundation within Lincoln's life. It's a pretty cool statement. From formulaic to performative. So there's two words that I'm going to lay out here. Formulaic, if you've ever, I don't know that that many people are attracted to formulaic. However, it's funny, my personality really likes a rhythm. I like things the same way every day. I want to get up at the same time. I want to do the same thing every day. I like rhythm. However, I do not like form. So it is funny. I don't know that I'm formulaic. I like rhythm. I'm not sure what to call that. And then we have this other word, performative. It doesn't really sound good when I talk about the showmen, the performers. This is a huge thing back then. It's the rejection of formulaic and the gripping of something that we could call performative. But what's interesting, and this is what I want to point out, is the Koine Greek and the Hebrew, which are the basis for the Word of God, there is some Aramaic in there, but mainly the Old Testament is Hebrew and the New Testament is Koine Greek, are both verb-based languages, which means they are meant to perform. They are action-based languages. So the nature of the Word of God is to bring about action. That is what it's there for. The languages used in its, in its very makeup are stating that in their very function. During his childhood, says David Reynolds, during his childhood and teenage years, Lincoln was so taken by colorful sermons 
The Baptists were the most influential denominations in popularizing the new religious style. That's what it was called, the new religious style. This was not, this was not a normal system. You weren't actually up to this point allowed to even preach like this. A sermon style based not on the bygone Puritan formula of text, exposition, and proof, or application, but rather on free-flowing, usually extemporaneous strings of inspirational passages, vernacular speech, anecdotes, and sometimes humor. If, if you were going to try and describe you know, the, even the, the way I approach everything I do in even coming up with a sermon topic, in delivering that sermon, putting together the sermon, delivering the sermon, it is interesting because as I was going through this, it's like, I don't know that anyone would accuse me of being puritanical, uh, and I think I may actually be more backwoodsy. What a strange thought that is. However, I recognize the vulnerability of losing form. When you lose pattern and you lose structure, you can go rogue very easily. And so I understand why people are sensitive to this. It's like, Eric, where are you going? Where are you going? How, how do we know that you're going to still exposit the text properly and you're going to handle the scripture the way you should? It's a good question. And it's, it's a reasonable statement. However, to lock everything down and to keep it in form kills the church. Lincoln's sermonizing signified his penchant for performance. The religion of his youth and young manhood was, above everything, performative. Isn't that interesting just to hear that description? So was virtually everything else he participated in. This man was raised in a performative age. Yes, it had the extremes in it, the profane extremes, everything from P.T. Barnum and, and on. However, there was also the backwoods preachers that were training Lincoln to actually declare things in a colorful way, a humorous way, and to then do it, to actually act upon what he was doing, what he was hearing. It's, not, it's no wonder, is what it should say. If you're looking at the screen, it says it's not. It's no wonder that a performative understanding of the Bible led to one of the greatest action heroes of the past 200 years. Lincoln was an action hero. He did something with his life. He didn't just hear the word. What did he do? He did it. He activated it. And so that's the key scripture, I think, for us to draw to the surface. James 1, 23 through 25. If you think about just form, dry and dusty religion, which is what is very easy for the church to head towards because we get all our I's dotted and our T's crossed, but die, just like the Pharisees of old were whitewashed tombs that look good on the outside but are dead in the inside. That is precisely opposite of what the Spirit of God wants to sponsor in our generation. James 1, 23-25, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work this one will be blessed in what he does, which is why this is a secret of Lincoln's leadership right here. And very simply put, don't just talk it out, live it out. So let's go through the, uh, the 12 leadership secrets that we have uncovered so far of Lincoln. These are good. Number one, draw loving lines, not hard lines. Number two, approach the nasty stuff like a Quaker. Number three, never ever send the first draft. 
Number four, listen like everyone in the room is smarter than you. Number five, bust through the cultural blind spots. Number six, inspire a Clapham sect in your living room. Number seven, slavery is not supposed to be a permanent condition. Number eight, define your hills to die on so you know where not to perish. Number nine, become excellent on the water, not in it. Number 10, wrestle to establish that you're a stayer. Number 11, approach your enemies with a soccer ball instead of a gun. And today's number 12, don't just talk it out, live it out. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would do this in our life, that you would bring us out of the dusty and the dry, and that you would bring us into the colorful and expressive, and that we would agree with your Holy Spirit. And when we do the work of the kingdom, the hearts of those that are participating and listening in would burn inside of them. Lord Jesus, we want the church to live right now. And I pray that even though we're in a darkening age, I pray that you would shine a very bright light in our souls today. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.